Hello, I'm Cathy Brewis and this is What We Did Next, a London Business School podcast where two alumni come together to talk about what they've done since leaving the school, how their careers have developed and what they're looking forward to right now. Today, our guests are Rupal Patel, author of From CIA to CEO and founder and CEO of Entrepreneura, which helps founders, leaders and changemakers unleash their potential, grow their businesses and reach new personal and professional heights. And our second guest is Luisa Barile. Like Rupel, she's an MBA graduate of the school, but she has gone into insurance and particularly insure tech. She's now the chief financial officer of Bought by Many. Um, Luisa and Rupel, thank you both so much for coming here today. Really appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you're going to say to each other and uh, this the, your exchange of ideas. Luisa, tell me something that you're really looking forward to right now in your work. I work for a digital pet insurance company and, uh, you know, we have gone through a lot of uh, expansion over the last uh, few years with the pandemic and the pet boom. Um, we have launched in the US um, last year and, you know, I'm now looking at uh, you know, expanding our growth in the US and, uh, you know, continuing our expansion as a business, but also the, you know, managing the growth in a more mature way um, and, uh, and you know, looking at the profitable growth, which is always uh, you know, the most challenging part of, um, of, of growing. But really, the, the growth in the US is, uh, is a really exciting part of, uh, of, of my role at the moment. And Rupa, what about you? What's the thing that's top of mind that's exciting? Um, I published a book back in May and it came out in everywhere in the UK and all around the world, except for the US. So what I'm really looking forward to is uh, the book launching in the US, uh, because strangely, even though I'm American, now that I live here in the UK, uh, and my publisher is UK based, we've launched it everywhere except for, for my home my home country. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, I'm, I know it's had an amazing response already, your book. I'm sure everyone wants, wants to know why, why would we even go from the CIA to, to being CEO of a company in the first place? Yeah, that is a, a, a question that definitely comes up often, um, because as you said, the title of my book is From CIA to CEO, uh, and it just charts some of the lessons that I learned in that career transition from working at the agency in intelligence and in, in foreign affairs and, and overseas missions uh, to then transitioning into the world of entrepreneurship and business. Um, and the lessons I've learned around mindset, resilience, toughness, adapting to changing circumstances, all of those things that are very, very applicable in the world of business as well, of course. Um, and I guess part of the reason that I left the agency when I did, so I left just before I came to LBS, and it was because I had been there for a good amount of time. It was about uh, just over six years when I when I finally left. And I think I had just started, it sounds crazy to say, but I had started feeling a little bit comfortable. I loved my job. I was doing really exciting, really interesting, really challenging things, both physically as well as intellectually. But after a while, it just started to feel like I could do this without really putting in too much more effort or stretching myself or pushing myself in ways um, that I hadn't to that point. And so I thought, you know, I like I'm not the type of person who likes to get comfortable. I don't like when things are easy. And so I thought, well, you know, I can stay here and make a wonderful career of it, or I can leave, test myself in a totally different way, in a totally different industry or, or you know, part of the world, or all of the above, and see what else I'm made of. And, and that's the choice that I made. 
And um, I'm really interested in the subject of reinvention and, and, you know, and change generally. Uh, Rupal, obviously, you've completely reinvented your career and, and transitioned into something totally different. Uh, and Louisa, you're, you're part of reinventing you know, the industry of, of insurance, which was obviously ripe for disruption. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey with that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an actuary by training. So I started on the mathematical side of insurance, but then I joined McKinsey um, as my first um, like proper job. Um, And uh, I kind of came to LBS as a sort of a natural path. Um, But when you join McKinsey, at least, you know, uh, b- b- back at my times, um, it was it was quite typical of, you know, you do a couple of years um, as a business analyst, you go and do your MBA, and then you come back as an associate and kind of you progress through, um, through, through your career. Um, so I, I, I did that. Um, so I knew that I always wanted to kind of go back to insurance because it's my, like, home industry. Um, and, uh, and I did a lot of things while I was at LBS, um, you know, in the insurance space. Um, so I, I, I worked for a year. I did my internship and then I worked for a year in, um, in, in an insurance company here in London. Um, and then uh, when I went back to McKinsey, I continued. Um, so I was working in and out of insurance, but I continued to kind of um, keep contacts um, in the industry. And then eventually I ended up working um, in the industry back again with people that I work with um, during the internship. Um, and then I, I guess for me is, um, you know, the path has been of, of reinvention has been, you know, within a more kind of traditional path of, um, you know, the, the path that McKinsey kind of set. Um, but I chose to do things at LBS um, that were outside of my comfort zone. Well, I thought I would never be an entrepreneur um, because it was kind of like more outside of my comfort zone. So I took all the possible entrepreneurship courses um, and organizational behaviors because I thought um, I can always pick up from a, like a corporate finance you know, book and kind of understand um, things. Um, but you know, the, the experience of discussing um, you know, entrepreneurship and um, organizational behavior with people that are coming from like very different backgrounds um, is just invaluable. Um, and, you know, I, I thought I did it just for like the intellectual challenge. Um, and then, you know, after a few years, I ended up actually at a startup company um, where, you know, a lot of the um, learnings of LBS actually came to fruition. And also you now a lot of the organizational behavioral pieces, which were not so relevant at McKinsey because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easier if you want to manage people that are like very independent, very, you know, driven, you know, very capable. Um, the challenges ma- managing teams that are like bigger when you have people across all the different spectrum of, you know, capabilities and ambition um, is clearly m- much more difficult. Um, so to me, it was like really interesting to think about, you know, the different elements of, um, you know, skill set that then came to fruition um, at points I, I never expected to. Um, but but that's a little bit the, the path that I followed um, and also kind of reinventing myself in different roles. Um, so I've been a CEO, um, I've been a CEO, um, and then I took the position of CFO uh, at, uh, at ManyPets, uh, which a lot of people thought was a kind of, you know, question as like, no, why are you taking a kind of step back? Like feels like a step back. Um, but to me, it was really um, an interesting um, it, it, an, an interesting role, something I've never done before, um, and it was very interesting to see a like a different type of organization scaling up. I really don't regret it. 
And Rupal, when you were at LBS, did you get in, quite involved in the entrepreneurship scene as well? I did. Uh, so relatively early on when I was at LBS, I realized that actually instead of doing what I thought I'd come to business school to do, which was to get the degree and then go and, and um, you know get a corporate job, I realized relatively quickly that actually I didn't want to work anybody else and I did want to test myself again, in a totally new way by doing something. You know, I've always been an ideas person. I had tons of ideas. And so while I was at LBS, I effectively stress tested a lot of the ideas. I entered business plan competitions and did hackathons and all of that great stuff that both LBS offered, but then also the wider London uh, sort of startup ecosystem uh, provided as well. And I just really immersed myself in that scene as much as I possibly could, both on and off campus, because for me, it was, you know, everything can potentially be wonderful in theory, but it's only when you actually start doing the doing and meeting the people that you realize whether it's the right fit for you or the right industry or whatever it is. Um, and so for me, it was really important to effectively do my due diligence, right? Like, do is this this type of life, is this um, sort of fast pace and uncertainty and all of that kind of stuff, is this what I really want? Or is it just something that, uh, you know, sounded really good? So yeah, so like Louisa, you know, I took um, as many of the entrepreneurship courses uh, on campus as I could, and then did all of the practical stuff around business plans and strategizing and, and sort of, again, sort of stress testing various ideas um, as often as I possibly could during my two years. So you've, you've, you know, you've both just listed all the, so many different things that you used LBS for and things that you learnt whilst you were here on the programme. Um, what would you say is like the, the one really big gain that you sort of something that you still take with you and you still use today? To, to me, it's the different perspective of the different people um, that you encounter um, and and really listening to the, the different views. So when I arrived at LBS, um, and you know, I, I was clearly at McKinsey in a you know, very international company, um, but I was surrounded by people that were thinking a similar way, if you want, or had a similar experience compared to mine. Um, and then when I arrived at LBS, um, all of a sudden I was like sitting next to like a doctor, like a medical doctor and, you know, an architect and, you know, people that like, you know, coming from the military, it's like you no know, very, you know, very different backgrounds, sometimes like less on the, you know, less experience on the business side compared to what I had, but, you know, a lot, you know, stronger experience on, you know, other elements that were really helpful. I think it was less while I was there. It's actually, it's the network that has that I've built and relied on since graduation, probably more so than when I was actually at LBS, um, because the alumni community is just phenomenal. And I think it's one of the most perhaps underutilized uh, sort of assets that LBS has. And like Louisa said, so many wonderfully brilliant people who are wonderfully brilliant in lots of different areas of life. And it's not just, you know, sort of corporate leadership, it's military leadership or leadership in a, in a, you know, in a, a medical set surroundings or, and it's, it's the combination of that life experience, but then also the generosity and the, um, the willingness to help. I mean, any time I have a question or need some advice, or even now my first place to go to is the alumni community and people never cease to surprise me um, pleasantly with how generous they are with their time, their expertise, their contacts, their willingness to help. Uh, and so for me, it's been absolutely invaluable having that network because, I mean, you know, I graduated almost 10 years ago now, and I can't recall a single fact 
that I learned in the classroom or a single uh, sort of lesson that was like, oh, wow, this is going to change my life forever. But what has changed my life and my career forever is, is the wonderful LBS network in the community. I wanted also to touch on sort of mindsets. Um, I think Rupert, you posted something recently about how working at the CIA, there was this, um, I think you called it a sort of inherent bravado and there's sort of nothing, you know, nothing can stop us attitude, um, which I guess is something that, you know, as an entrepreneur, I mean, you have to have that, uh, that mindset. So perhaps you, perhaps you were kind of already trained in that a little bit through, through that work. Um, but is, is that the thing that kind of propels you forward, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, when when think you know when you hit roadblocks when there are difficulties challenges you know how much of it is just down to that really sort of like stubborn determination i think a huge part of it maybe you know 99.99% if we're going to put a number on it because the way I view it, and again, yes, as you said, a lot of it was in sort of not necessarily the way the CIA trained me, but just that mindset, that constant sort of can do attitude that, hey, look, we don't know what mess we're about to walk into, but we're going to find our way through it. We're going to have to adapt and be agile and all of these things. Um, and that sort of deep realization that really we get to decide when we quit or when we keep going. And, you know, with with life in general, but, you know, particularly these days, you know, life and, and work are, um, are, you know, there are similar challenges that we're facing because of all of the big shocks that have been happening around us with the pandemic and war and economic uncertainty and all of this stuff. And the constant theme is we can't predict or plan for some of the things that come out of the blue and then just turn the entire world upside down. And so having that mindset around, well, nobody's going to tell me when I stop except for me, is really, really helpful because then you get to choose and you get to stay a very active participant instead of feeling like a victim of all of these things happening around you. And you can say, you know, again, like we would say in, in an overseas mission, but also in, in many business contexts, we could never have predicted that this thing was going to happen, a war in Ukraine or, or a global pandemic that shuts things down overnight. But we've been given this reality. What can we do with it? What can we do as opposed to obsessing over the problem and the challenge and admiring it? It's focusing and, and reshifting our focus onto, well, what can we do? And focusing on the things you can control instead of throwing your hands up in despair about all of the many things that we can't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, in particular, when you work in a, like fast growing, like in a startup or in a you know, scaling organization, um, I think you are subject to that, you know, external, um, you know, environment a lot more than in a, you know, in a bigger, more mature, more stable business. Um, you know, and clearly, you know, right now, you know, with everything going on at the moment, you know, that's a situation that's affecting everyone. Um, but it, it is actually, um, you know, day-to-day -day practice in, in, in a startup world. Um, I think for me, the biggest change um, when, I, when I joined ManyPets uh, five years ago um, was really the amount of change and the things that um, was, you know, were difficult to control. And then really understanding what are, um, you know, there is the whole debate of like, should you actually have a plan where like, you know, it's really impossible to control things when you, when you are in the um, like early stages. Um, but really thinking about, you know, what are the things that are in your control? Like, what is the direction? And then how do you, like, things will always go very differently <laughs> compared to what you have planned. But then it's really how you react to the things that happen and, and the attitude that you have. Um, because, you know, sometimes you get close to actually um, something that can kill you as a, you know, as a small business. But then, 
you really need to have that can-do attitude and get people together and mobilize um, around around what you can do. And I think there is a lot of that um, in terms of mindset um, that is really helpful for you know anything that you do in life. Um, you know, I've been told once by a mentor of mine that was negotiating too much with myself because I was preparing for a negotiation and like I had all my plans, like, you know, I think this is like, no, this is what I can ask for, etc. You know, it's like, well, are you, are you kind of negotiating before you're actually negotiating, right? Um, just, you know, go in with like all the, you know, all the possible, you know, things that you want. Um, and then you negotiate with your opponents and not, not negotiate with yourself. So that's something that really stuck with me. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when I'm facing, you know, an issue and I'm trying to kind of find the solution, I'm really pushing the boundaries of my own internal barriers and saying, am I negotiating with myself before I'm actually entering into a negotiation or like trying to solve a problem? That's something that a lot of like very successful entrepreneur entrepreneurs have in terms of like not seeing or seeing the constraints, but really finding ways of taking those constraints away and and increasing the the space of possibilities. Um, and what are your thoughts on um, sort of teams and team building? You know, you can have this great mindset and these and the ideas, and all of that can be right. But if you know, if you, if the people around you or, or that you're working with um, if there are problems in that, you know, then that that can kind of scupper your 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 really good plans. How do you go about making sure that the right people are in place and that you're getting the best out of them? I think, um, and maybe this isn't uh, sort of the conventional wisdom, but I have um, a slightly mixed view on teams and their effectiveness because I think the great thing about teams is that it brings together people who can then sort of bounce ideas off of each other. And, you know, oftentimes the sum is greater than the, the, or the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. But what's sometimes the downside of teams is that not everybody operates their best in a team. And sometimes people who are just better on their own are better just sort of sat by themselves in a room with a problem, trying to, you know, sort of muscle it out in their brains. They are often stifled when they're forced to participate in a more interactive environment. And so I think, Teams are brilliant, but we have to wield them carefully, like anything, um, and be very thoughtful about how we are bringing out the different strengths that will be in in a group of people. Because some people might be more strategic thinkers, some people might be more detail oriented, some people might, you know, want to just sort of do something quickly and experiment and then get feedback. And so it's first and foremost, I think, understanding what the makeup is of your team, you know, what kinds of thinkers, what kinds of, of, of doers, what kinds of uh, sort of people and what are their different uh, strengths and the assets that they're bringing, and then trying as much as possible to let them play to their strengths. And then the job of the leader, in my opinion, is sort of, you know, oftentimes people talk about it as like um, a conductor, is to conduct how those people with their individual strengths will come together to make a coherent whole and to execute on a specific project without it being, you know, everybody going off and doing their own thing. And so it's that fine balance between relying on teams for what they're great at, but not being sort of slavishly obsessed with everything has to be solved by the team and everything has to get consensus. There is a bit of a gray area. And and it's again, like I said, it's sort of wielding that tool, which is the team very carefully and very thoughtfully instead of just saying, okay, well, the team's got to do it this way, or they're going to do it that way. So my, my take on teams, um, you know, having, having built, uh, uh, you know, qu- quite a few. So when I joined Many Pets, you know, we had about 50 people and now we have over um, 600. Um, and, you 
Yeah, clearly the whole organization has expanded a lot and my team um, as well has, uh, has expanded a lot as a result. Uh, but m- my approach has always been, you know, to ins- basically to build a team that I can inspire um, and I can be inspired uh, by. Um, and to me, it's really a combination of um, inspiring people with purpose um, and purpose can be like the purpose of the organization in terms of what we're trying to build, but also purpose in the specific, you know, role of, you know, what is your part in, um, in, in building the, you know, the, 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 the total organization that the, and, 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 the, and the mission that, that we have. Um, but also an element of um, development. I tend to hire people with strong skills. Um, but that can grow into the role um, as opposed to people that have already done it for 20 years and um, and kind of, you know, they're, they're just bringing their experience um, to the table. And it's a hard um, mix and a fine, you know, fine balance because, you know, you, you always need to have someone that kind of, you know, comes already with the expertise. Um, but to me, having an element of development, you know, for everyone in the team so that everyone feels that, you know, they're learning, they're contributing something to the team, but also taking something from the team and, and, and learning um, is um, is very important. And then I spend a lot of time with the team um, and I get involved in a lot of the a lot of the detail really to support people as, as much as possible um, and and you know create a source of uh, pride in, in the work that we do. Louisa, I'm interested to know about um working in tech um as a as a particularly as a woman, really you know it's got a male dominated um environment um how have you how have you gone about well i suppose really i mean have you noticed the fact has, has there been any extra challenges because of being a woman or is it or, or not at all i work at the intersection between tech and insurance which are probably the two worst sectors in terms of uh, g- gender diversity um Having said that, and, and definitely it has been an issue um, in the past. So I'll just give you one of my, um, you know, the, one of the stories that I usually tell people to, to explain, like, what the, what is the mindset is. Um, I was involved once in a, um, so I led a negotiation of, a, uh, of an acquisition that we did together with a, a private equity. Um, and then when we, it was a time of discussing, like, who should have been on the board of, of this company, um, one of the advisors uh, from a legal perspective told me, like, oh, do you want to get um, a substitute um, for yourself? Because, you know, if the, if, if the other person um, on the board, you know, from, from our organization could not come, like, you imagine work, walking into a room, you know, full of men on your own. And I reflected, like, no, he said it with the, all the best possible intentions, like, you know, really want to protect you. Um, and, and I felt like, well, but then, like, am, you know, am I able to negotiate the deal, but then, like, not able to walk into a boardroom on my own as a, you know, as a woman? You know, that's quite insulting. <laughs> like, you know, it's, I, I, you know I'm, I'm perfectly fine. No, thank you very much. I mean, that's a bit of a mindset of, um, you know, a lot of the time, like, the challenges that you encounter are very subtle and people trying to protect you, um, but it ends up undermining the you know, the confidence of like, well, you know, do I actually need a babysitter to kind of walk into that boardroom? Um, so, so to me, that's, that's always been a bit of, uh, you know, of, of, of the challenge. Um, but the way I've overcome it is um, trying to kind of see those challenges as, you know, opportunities to change people's mindset and also working with people that had um, a different way of thinking. So the way I actually ended up um, at Many Pets 
um, as as their very first CFO is that you know when I met I met uh, Stephen Mendel who's the CEO and co-founder of Many Pets um, at a dinner and he came to me with a you know with a question he was saying look well, I'm, I'm looking for a CFO um, I really want a woman um, because we have like three people in the leadership team and you know my co-founder and me and you know the other person are kind of all men. I really want diversity and I'm struggling. This is my like two criteria. I want someone, someone that understands insurance um, and I want a woman and I'm really struggling. Um, and I thought it was a, like a really interesting proposition because usually people come with uh, like, this is the list of the 50 criteria. And if I can have a diverse profile, that's, you know, that's a plus. Well, actually he put it the other way around. There are still, you know, a lot of criteria, you know, it was clearly, uh, it, it didn't have just two, but but I think the way he posed the question and the you know the mindset that he had really attracted me to say, well, actually, you know, this person is thinking in a slightly different way, and um, you know, I, I may consider the role myself. Um, so I think sometimes it's really like working with the right people and finding people that can that have that mindset of challenging the conventional wisdom, um, and then like you know, nothing is different. Um, so I, I think, and you know, I just take those. Um, um, biases, if you want, um, as an opportunity to change the mindset of people around me. And uh, the industry is changing. So I'm, I'm the co-chair of InsureTech UK. And uh, when we started, I was the only one. I, I was the only woman in, 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 in the council. Um, and now we have almost 50-50. So I think, you know, having more representation attracts more women. Um, we're more than 50-50 um, in, you know, in our organization overall. Um, it is very important to have visible role models. And, you know, it's not just gender diversity. I think, you know, across all the elements of, of diversity. Yeah. Oh, I'm just I'm just cringing still at this idea that you needed to be protected from walking into a room full of men. Oh. Um, <laughs> Rupal, in your, in your work, you know, helping other founders and leaders um, grow their businesses and, and you know, re- reaching their full potential, is this something that you come across as well? Yeah, and it's almost become sort of laughable of the things that uh, that women will get from men. So in addition to this slightly patronizing, but still well-meaning sort of let me protect you from a, a room full of other men. It's like, oh, yeah, because this is the first time I've been in a room full of men. Right. Um, but you also just get the more overt stuff where it's like, you know, for example, for founders, it'll be things like, does your husband know that you're you're starting a business or, uh, you know, who, uh, you know, when are you planning to have children? You know, things that are totally irrelevant to the the reason the founder is standing in front of this sort of panel of investors, but this, this stuff around, you know, what the, whether or not they're going to have children and, and who's going to support them, things that men would never ask other men, just it's, it's, like I said, it's laughable because it's almost predictable that that is going to come up at some point in the conversation. It might not be the first question, but almost inevitably it always comes up. So there's that sort of the overt bias, as well as sort of the uh, more covert bias, which you can't always see, but you can sort of tell in the way you know certain uh investors will sort of tune out or the other thing that i love is when again founders are are doing something in the femtech space or something that has to do with uh sort of women's issues they'll be dismissed as oh but isn't this a really niche market and you think uh 
I'm sorry, since when did 50% of the population become a niche market? And so it's this, this, this blinkered view of the world that somehow women are niche and our needs are somehow um, this quaint little thing, but there's no, you know, real room in the market for it. It just, it reinforces and it feeds off of these sort of longstanding, both social, cultural, et cetera, biases that, that have existed since the beginning of, of time, effectively, or modern time anyway. So there's that from the founder's perspective. And then the more um, sort of uh, corporate leaders, you know, MDs and, and sometimes even C-level uh, leaders who, who are women, it's, it's that same combination, just at a different scale, right? So like things like Louisa said about being protected from the board or, uh, you know, being mansplained if you are the one woman on the board and you're like, I'm sorry, I have been sitting on the same board with all of you people. It's not like I don't understand the basics of running a business, you know, I, it's not. And, and so it's sort of that, again, that combination of overt patronizing uh, behavior, as well as some of the more subtle things and the things that women are judged about, the things that people will say, again, both either to your face or or behind your back and the things that women just spend so much time obsessing over. I mean, I have worked with, again, C-level executive women who waste hours of their lives every week just trying to figure out what they need to wear to strike the right tone at work, right? So it can't be too masculine. It can't be too feminine. If I wear pink, what is it going to say? If I, I mean, it sounds crazy and so superficial, but the world is crazy and superficial sometimes. And women are consistently judged on their appearance. And so, so many women who are leaders who have better things to be doing with hours of their time and precious headspace and, and mental energy are wasting it on things that men don't even have to consider. You know, and one of my my favorite examples of this just uh, superficial bias and this is an apolitical statement. I don't have any sort of dog in the fight in labor versus conservative. But Boris Johnson made it part of his personal brand to look disheveled and unkempt and, and, and sort of half crazy all of the time. No woman would ever get away with looking like that and still be elected to national office in any country, in any era. It's this sort of combination of, like I said, internal stuff that women have to deal with, as well as the external confrontations of, you know, double standards, triple standards, patronization, all of that, that you just think, yeah, it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> and, you know, and it, and it's, like I said, precious time, energy, and mental resource that gets siphoned away from allowing them to just be better at, as leaders and as human beings, which, like I said, a lot of men just don't have to confront these same questions ever. So finally, because um, I must let you both get on, um, could you just give us each a sort of top tip for present MBAs studying at the moment in terms of how to get the most out of LBS and then how to kind of find their path afterwards that's going to be you know, exciting and fulfilling and, and interesting? My advice would be to do as much of the courses that are outside your comfort zone um, as possible. So a lot of people... Uh, at least, you know, when, when a lot of my classmates had very clear idea of, you know, I want to do banking or I want to do consulting, um, you know, when when coming to the MBA and then like they planned everything, you know, accordingly. Um, I think life can take very unexpected turns um, and um, kind of doing a lot of different things and especially the things that you, you know, you may not actually need, you know, later on. Um 
you know, can, can be really, really fulfilling um, and, you know, can, can be an unexpected surprise um, later on. And I think for, like, as, you know, people are approaching um, job market, you know, post-MBA, I, I usually say to people, you can choose, um, you know, one of three things, um, either like the role, the title um, that, that, that you have, um, or, you know, the, the company. Um, so some people go for like a very, um, like flashy names and you know recognizable names on the on the CV um, or the people um, that you're going to work with um, and you know there is no judgment you know involved but you know personally I've always chosen the people um, you know over anything else um, you know you, you must have an idea of what you like and you know the type of roles the industry you know there is you know it's, it's natural to have a preference um, but um Choosing the people is always the, you know, to me was always the, the, the winning move for, you know, anything they did um, following. And I know lots of people that are kind of that chosen like really interesting roles in companies that actually have a toxic, toxic culture. Um, they regretted it. Uh, Rupal, what are your thoughts? Um, I think for while you're at LBS, sort of tying into what Louisa said, just be open, be open to trying different things and exploring different things. If that is what you came to LBS to do, because so many people, you know, come to LBS thinking, oh, I'm going to take a career break and, and see what else is out there. Some people don't. Some people come just because they want to progress and they, you know, within their company or in the same industry. And that's fine, too. But if you came to LBS as sort of a break and, and, a, and an opportunity to explore, then make sure you are exploring. You know, like Louisa said, take courses outside of your comfort zone, but also do things outside of your comfort zone. So whether it's your internships or the projects that you do while while you're there um, and make sure you balance this openness with what I think so many MBAs struggle with is, is the FOMO. And I have never been a FOMO type of person. I love nothing more than saying no to things because it exhausts me to, to consider the world of possibilities. So yes, be active and engaged and try different things, but don't try to do all the things because you can't. And it will really dilute your experience if you're constantly flitting between a bazillion different things. Also, as you're looking towards what comes next in your career, for me, a really big question to, to ask yourself is why am I choosing this career or this company or this team or this role or this industry? Because again, I think so many of us come to LBS, we're high achievers, we're used to being at the top, we like having really prestigious names, on our CVs. And that's, a, you know, it, it's, again, no value judgment, it is important in a manner. But sometimes we can find ourselves just sucked into this path, because that's what we think we're supposed to be doing, or we're supposed to make a certain amount of money, or we're supposed to have a certain title by a certain age. And sometimes that doesn't really match with what we care about. And so use this opportunity to really explore what you care about. Yeah, you might be on a path and it works for you and that's great. Or you might be on a path where you felt a bit of tension, it hasn't felt right, or it's felt a bit, you know, forced or, you know, out of alignment with your values or whatever it is. So use this opportunity to ask yourself, what do I care about? And then how is that going to show up in my career? You might not necessarily be able to make an entire career out of the things you care about, but at the very least, make sure some of those values, some of those things that you really, really care about can be brought out and reflected in the job and the career that you do next. Because you're very rarely going to get this opportunity again to really spend some time thinking and reflecting on what's important to you and then building it into your career in a, in a very thoughtful and um, in a, you know, an active way. 
thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. It's been really great hearing you both so enthusiastic about your work, apart from anything else. And um, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be incredibly useful for people um, to listen as well. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. You've been listening to What We Did Next from London Business School. You can find more alumni stories together with thought leadership from London Business School professors at london.edu forward slash think. And if you're an alum and you'd like to take part in a future episode of What We Did Next, do drop me a line at kbrewis at london.edu.